If you watch any of the cooking shows on TV, anybody? Does it help? Yes? Okay, good. Well, it seems that every channel has their own cooking show these days. Cooking shows are popular. People, even if they have never cooked anything in their lives, can watch a TV show and then feel like that they could make, you know, whatever uh, dish is being shown there on the channel. But one of my favorite cooking shows is Food Network's Chopped. Any Chopped fans in here? Okay, good. There are a bunch of them out there, but Chopped seems like it's uh, probably the best one. And it's the one where the contestants are given an, a certain amount of time to take a random set of ingredients and make something out of it and present it to the judges. And so at the end of the allotted time, the contestants do appear before the judges with their dishes to have them judged. The best part of the show is not the uh, craziness of taking uh, all of the different things that you've never seen before and making something out of them. It's not the mad dash to get it right before the time is up. It's getting to see the cook's creativity to see what these people are able to do, or maybe not able to do, with improvising with unplanned ingredients to make something that is both edible as well as presentable. Some, for example, find amazing things to do with celery sticks, syrup, a rump roast, and heart of squid, while others use all their time wondering what in the world am I going to do with this. For all of them, though, there is a, a time of accountability. There is a moment of truth where they appear before the judges and have to show what they have done or what they have not done with what they've been given. The three servants in the parable that we've heard this morning had a similar challenge. Although they were no, there were no celery sticks and certainly no squid that was involved. Instead, they were given talents each of which was a sum of money that was equivalent to at least 15 years' wages, and some say even 20 years' wages. The servants had a master who was going away on a long trip and trusting them with his valuables. He distributed to them according to each one's ability. And we don't get a whole lot of information about that ability, but he obviously knew what he was doing as he chose them. One of them received five talents, another received two, and a third received just one talent. Apparently there were no specific instructions given with the talents. Jesus does not fill in that part of the story. He just leaves it at that. He entrusts them with these talents and then he leaves town. They were to manage all of this while he was gone. The servant with the five talents immediately invested his, getting a return of five more. The second servant did the same thing, doubling his to four. When the master returned from his trip to settle the accounts with them, he praised the two servants for their wise management, and then he rewarded them with even more to take care of. So they had done much with what they had been given. He gives them more to go and to invest. I suppose he was very happy with what they had done. They were able to hear the words every worker longs to hear from the boss. Well done, good and faithful, or as the NRSV translates it, trustworthy. Well done, good and trustworthy servant. The third servant, however, fearful of investing his talent or perhaps 
He was just plain lazy. Decided it was best to bury it safely in the ground. Now, if you didn't have a bank or a safe or somewhere else to uh, maybe a, a sock to put your money away in, you would bury it in the ground. That's just how they did things then. That would mean that it was safe and you would probably be the only one who knew where it was and you could go back and get it when you needed it. But that way nothing would be lost and he would have something to show his master when he returned from the trip. The risk of having nothing to show was just too much for him. Instead of praise, though, he received a scolding lecture, loss of his talent, and then exclusion. You know, all of that weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you ever heard dogs gnash their teeth together as they're playing or fighting? Not a really good sound. Not a good thing. Not a good place to be. And this was exclusion. Playing it safe with his talent was actually the most dangerous thing that he could ever do. And we can just imagine how the crowd responded to his story as Jesus told it. Their heads must have been shaking together in agreement as to how foolish this third servant was. Didn't he know that he should have put his talent to work? What a fool! And, you know, some of them probably felt a little bit guilty as well as they began to think about their own lives. I mean, the, the first two servants were the heroes. They were the ones everyone wanted to identify with, not the fool. These were the ones that they could see themselves as, the first and the second servant, managing their talents with wisdom and success. And I'm sure they were feeling pretty good about themselves until they understood who they actually were in the story, at least the way Jesus saw them as they really were. As with the other parables we've recently considered here this past several weeks. In fact, we've been in Matthew chapter 25 for uh, several weeks as we've looked at the different things that Jesus is teaching to the people all through story. But Jesus is making another bold statement about His people's poor management. And we can think of this as His own religion. This is Israel that He is addressing here with this particular parable the people that he has grown up with, the, the people who are a part of his heritage, he realizes that they have strayed and gone far from what God had given them to do. God had blessed them as a people and had given them enormous amounts of talent to manage. He had entrusted them to be a manager of his blessings for the world, taking what he had given them and investing it liberally in the lives of people all around them. God had given them grace, He had given them riches, He had given them light, and He had given them location to be used for all nations. It goes all the way back to Abraham. God wanted to do something in and for the world, and so He chose some people to be instruments and a vehicle for that kind of thing to take place. It was never to be buried it was never to be covered or possessed or squandered. It didn't belong to them, but was God's property. To do nothing with it was to be like the third servant. And that is what Jesus was saying many of them were like. That they were lazy, and they were too worried that God was too generous with His grace. Especially for other people. People outside of their own group. 
like the crowd back then, we love a good story, don't we? Every time Jesus would tell a story, people would just gather to hear what he had to say. And we are drawn into stories. We especially love ones with good guys, with villains. I mean, you have to have a villain, right? You have to have uh, uh, some, some kind of plot, some kind of struggle and tension that's going on, with clear demarcations of right and wrong, with wisdom versus foolishness, or justice versus evil, or success and failure. We like it when we can cheer for those who do right and boo those who do wrong. What we don't like, however, is when the story suddenly becomes about us, especially if we aren't the hero. Sometimes the best way to take the truth about ourselves is when it comes to us indirectly, like through a story, rather than something we are hit over the head with or something that hits us squarely between the eyes. Jesus was a master at teaching in that kind of way. He was a master at speaking truth to people and to power in a way that they could help realize within their own lives. Sometimes it embarrassed them. Sometimes it convicted them. Sometimes it led them to do the right thing. But he does this with his stories, drawing us in until we see ourselves in them, confronted with truth that we can't avoid. Like the people in Jesus' crowd, though, we can walk away from it, right? We can walk away from Jesus. We can walk away from His stories and from the things that He did and the things that He said. Or we can face it. But we can't avoid it. This reality applies to us today as we hear it. The one big truth that we can't avoid this morning is that we are managers of what God has put in our care. Do you see yourself as a manager today? One thing Jesus made clear with his stories and his actions is that God has it all. Wouldn't you say that God is rich? God's pretty rich. God is rich in every way. But certainly God is rich in love and in grace and in mercy for the world. His reserve is intended for the world and it could never, ever be exhausted. I know sometimes you feel like you are exhausting God's grace and His forgiveness and His care, but you can't. He puts no restrictions or conditions on who is able to receive it, wanting everyone to have it and no one to ever go without. Like the value of a talent for Jesus' hearers that day, it is more than we can fathom ever having. It's an amount we think could only ever be for a few people, maybe a few lucky people or a few of the people who seem to always get it right. We must know, though, that it is for us. It is for all of us. We must see that what we've been given, receiving it with the awe of wonder, but also the realization of responsibility that it brings in our lives. The grace God has been so generous to give us is actually an endowment. And I think it's helpful for us to think of it in that way. It's an endowment that has been given to us to manage. It is intended to be wisely managed, to be equally distributed and shrewdly invested. Jesus reminds us all in this parable that much has been given and much is expected. 
you might say, well, I only have one talent. And the people around me this morning or people in my family or people that I've been friends with, they have more talents. And so I really, there's not much I can do with my one talent. And what Jesus would have us know today is that that is not so. God has given you much. And so much is expected. He reminds us that we will each be held responsible for what we've done with our talent. We don't know how long we have until the accounts are settled. But we do have assurance that our time will run out and we will have our moment of truth. He warns us that, the making, that making no decision about our talent is actually a decision, a very unwise one at that. How then shall we be good managers of what God has given to us? One way is by sharing God's grace with the people around us each and every day. Think for a moment about the people who are around you. In what ways are they in need of the generous grace that God has entrusted to you? What impact can it have on their lives if they can hear about God's grace from you, from a grace manager like you in this world? That they could hear that they are forgiven? By the way, we all need to hear that, don't we? Sometime this week, just go up to somebody and say, you're forgiven. It'll freak them out. They'll feel guilty at first. What are you talking about? How do you know I did that? If they ask you why, tell them you know why. Because God has forgiven you. And God has gone to great lengths that we could know that we are forgiven. We just need to receive it. Accept it into our lives. But that people around you could know that they are unconditionally loved. You might think that they know that. But do they? And that they are welcomed by God. This past week we had a speaker from the uh, Association of Welcoming and Affirming Baptists. And we talked about, or she talked about, what it means um, for churches to welcome other people, especially people who are so shunned and persecuted in churches today, the LGBT community. And what it would look like for a church, and what it does look like when churches say, we want to welcome and affirm you. Everyone is welcome. And that God is a welcoming God. He loves us. He draws us in. He doesn't exclude us. What would it look like for you to be a manager of God's welcoming grace in other people's lives? Think for a moment about what it looks like for us as a church, of the enormous impact of a church that uh, we can make when we see it as our role as a manager of God's grace rather than a dispenser of shame and condemnation. We must do all we can to infuse our families, our friends, our co-workers, and our neighborhood with the talents of grace that God has given to us, creating opportunities for them to hear to experience, and to take possession of it. One way we do this here is with our missional ministry teams. 
They are our vehicles for distributing the wealth of our talents. Our Lighthouse team shares the wealth by helping some of our city's most at-risk children and youth to excel in school. Not just to barely pass, but to learn to excel in their studies and to have a future as a result. Our veterans team members invest their talents into the lives of formerly homeless veterans as they transition from despair to hope. And we heard one of their stories this past Sunday night, and it was incredible. It's a a wonderful thing to hear how somebody can go from living on crack to living on grace and hope. And we get to do that. We get to help people know that they can do that. Our Highland Center ministry team supplies talent to serve the blessing of a meal to Highland, to provide clothes for toddlers all the way to adults, and to loan money to people in need of a second chance. Our Vision of Hope team invests its talent with volunteers of America's Ministry of Service to some of the most severely mentally ill persons in the city. Each one of these teams and the people they serve are in need of your talents. Have you invested any of your talents yet? When we invest what we have, great things will happen. God's kingdom comes to people and places. God's light dispels our darkness. And God's affirmation welcomes us with a much longed-for word, well done, good and faithful servant. Let us pray.